0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you are our dad. And you love us being in your presence. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your leading and your guiding. And just ask now that as I bring the word that you've given me, that you would Help me to speak what's on your heart. And Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts, the spiritual eyes, the minds of those here listening and those who are online listening, Lord. That they would receive what you want to say to them this morning. So thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen. Amen. Um, today, we start a new series looking at the parables of Jesus as found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's interesting. If you look at that, John doesn't record any of the parables of Jesus in his Gospel. They're only found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Some of the parables are recorded in all three of the Gospels, while others are recorded in two or even in, just in one of the Gospels. Um And it's interesting to note that Jesus only started telling parables after he had appointed his 12 apostles. He had the 12 apostles alongside him, as well as a number of women who were there supporting him as part of the inner circle that he had. And then there were the many that were outside of it. Those that tagged along from time to time and made up the crowd that were often there to see what they could get or what spectacle they could observe. Jesus chose to speak in parables when the crowds were present and he was speaking about the kingdom of God. It was because often in those crowds there were Pharisees and Sadducees or their agents and they were not there to hear what Jesus had to say but they were to find ways to oppose him and to challenge what he was saying. So when his close disciples asked him about the parables, he says this, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Mark 4, 11 and 12. He's quoting here from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When Isaiah is taken up into the presence of God, and the words spoken to Isaiah when he was commissioned to go and speak to the nation of Israel and tell them of the wrongdoings that they were done. When when God said, who is there to go? And and, uh, Isaiah said, Jeremiah, send me. And that was when God said those words to him. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Isaiah was there to go and warn the nations of Israel. Jesus is showing the the disciples that they are the ones that are going to carry that message to the people. They need to understand but there are people outside that won't understand. The parable we're going to look at today is the first parable in all three of the synoptic gospels, and is known as the parable of the sower. I'm going to read it from Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore of the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60 or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you've read through Mark's Gospel and can remember what you read, you'll know that Jesus goes on to explain the meaning of this parable to his close disciples. And we'll look at that in a moment. But I want to make three observations before we get to the explanation given by Jesus. Now, firstly, as an ex-sound engineer, the thing that fascinates me is that because the, the crowd was large and was around Jesus, Jesus gets into a boat, and he sits, get, pushes out into the lake, and he sits out there to speak to the crowd. We don't know whose boat it was. Uh, is it the one that Peter and James, uh, Peter and Andrew had left, or the one James and John had left when Jesus called them to come and follow him? Or was it some other fisherman that lived along that area of the lake? And But Jesus got in the boat. He had this habit of sort of being able to get things that weren't weren't his in the natural, but actually they were his because he owns everything. He created everything. We don't know whose boat it was. We also don't know how far out onto the lake he went when he went to sit and teach. But being on the lake meant that when Jesus spoke, he would have been easier to hear than if he was on the shore and the people were gathered around him, because sound travels better Over still water than it does over land. And this was a lake that was very quiet and still. It was a calm day, so there were no lapping of waves or anything like that. It wasn't a sea, it was a lake. And just amazing that he moved out and he could speak and everybody would hear him well because it was over calm water. Now, secondly, Jesus sits in the boat. He's getting ready to teach the crowd, so he sits. Now, to us, that might be very strange. In our culture, the one who is teaching is normally standing, like I'm doing now, and speaking to the people. It's so that everyone can see the teacher, and the teacher can see everyone. I mean, that's how we have a, grew up in, in school, like that. The teacher stood in the front of the class and taught you. You sat, the teacher stood. But in biblical times, in the Hebrew culture, a teacher would sit and teach his students. A rabbi would sit in the teaching seat in the synagogue to teach. That was the norm in those times. Jesus assumes the position of a teacher and sits in the boat. And also, from a practical point of view, being seated was probably more stable than standing in the boat, even if it was a calm um, lake. Thirdly, the farmer in the parable is, is either not the cleverest of people or is very generous. And I only believe it's the latter. Because he scatters his seed liberally. Not really caring where the seed lands. It's almost as if he knows he's got far more than what he needs. And he scatters seed onto the paths. And the birds can come and feed. He's feeding the birds. Not just planting plants. He also wants to create compost by scattering seeds in the rocky places. Or amongst the weeds. Where they'll grow up for a bit. And then they die, and then they'll decompose and create compost. And then over the years, that can form soil that growth can take place in. And God wants us to be like that with his word, to sow it generously wherever we find ourselves. That was a generous farmer scattering his seed. Now before we get to the explanation of the parable, I need to say one other thing. The interaction that Jesus has with his, dis- his disciples when he explains the parable to them doesn't happen in the order that we read it in the Scriptures. Rather, Mark has put the explanation right after Jesus' teaching so that we know he's explaining that parable and not one of the other parables that follow um, his teaching. Mark 4.10 says, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. Parables. They asked him about the parables, not just the parable. If you carry on reading beyond the explanation, you see that there are two more parables recorded, but there were many more that Jesus spoke that day while seated in the boat. Mark chapter 4, verses 33 and 34 says, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Now what was Jesus' explanation of the parable? Let's read it now in Mark chapter 4, verse 14 to 20. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. The farmer sows the word. In the explanation, Jesus speaks of the word being sown, where the seed already is. In the the parable, he speaks about the seed being sown, but in the explanation, he speaks about the word being sown where the seed already is. The people are the seed. And the word is sown among them in their different circumstances. So who's the farmer? Is it Jesus? Is it the apostles? Is it me? Is it you? Now it's all. I see it as that it's all. All of us. It's all. It's Jesus. It's the apostles. It's me. It's you. Initially, it was Jesus moving amongst the people of Israel. Then it's the apostles and the other believers of their time. And now it's me and you. All of us are the farmer in the parable. We all get to sow the word of God wherever we are. And to whoever we come into contact. As John Wimber said, we all get to play. Everybody gets to play. We all get to sow the word amongst the seed that is out there. We do not know the condition of the heart of the people that we encounter. They might be as hard as the well-trodden path, and their seed just sits there, not being affected by the word. So it is plucked away by Satan the seagull, swooping down as if he's on a Brighton pier, stealing some unsuspecting tourist chips from his hands. It might be like the seed on the rocky ground with very little soil. You see an initial response in the person's life to the word. You get excited and then something happens in their life and they fall away. You are responsible, we are responsible for sowing the seed, not tilling the soil. We're responsible for sowing the seed, not tilling the soil. We are to continue loving that person. We don't give up on them. But we cannot change the condition of the soil in their life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Whatever the condition of the heart is, is not our concern. That's God's. He deals with that. The farmer did not just sow seed only in the good soil. He generously scattered it all over the place. And we are to do likewise. Now, when I look back on my life before coming to Christ at the age of 19, I can see times when my heart was like a seed on rocky soil. I was taken along to some youth outreach meetings at a local Methodist church. The meetings were run by a man who had played rugby with my dad. He was a family friend. His son, also Mark, and I were the same age. Um, We played together on the side of the rugby field. Now, he wasn't the minister there. He wasn't even the youth pastor, but he had a real heart, for for the youth. And he put on these these meetings and um, trying to reach the teenagers in our area with the gospel. And I remember watching films of the work some Christian organizations were doing among the 16 to 19-year-olds here in this country. They were in the clubs and the nightclubs and these like real dingy dark areas that they were working in, where these kids were struggling to come to terms with having finished school and getting into life and um, dealing with drugs and, and alcohol and things like that. And there was amazing work being done amongst them. I mean, this would have been nearly 50 years ago that this was happening. But I never made a commitment to Christ at any of these meetings. But the word was sown in my life in those meetings. It touched my life, and it was sown into my life. And I believe it paid a part in my journey of coming to faith. In Jesus Christ. So we never know what effect our words have when we sow them out amongst the seed in this world. We are called to sow the word generously wherever we find ourselves. I'm sure we all know people who we can identify as having a hard heart, or a rocky heart, or a thorny heart towards God. Our responsibility is not to change the condition of their heart, but to sow the word of God and the love of God into them as generously as possible, without worrying about what happens to that which is sown. We are not responsible for their response, their reaction. We are responsible to be obedient to God and sow the word. We are called to sow the word. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction upon people's hearts of those that hear in response to the word that we have sown. We ought to be generous with our sowing of the word. Share it with whoever we can, whenever we can, wherever we can. Don't hold back. Not all our sowing will bear fruit, not all the seed that the farmer sowed landed in good soil. Verse 21 says, He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put under a bowl? Or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone hear, has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Mark 4, 21 to To 25. I believe this portion of Scripture is part of the parables. Often there's a, in your Bible you might find a subheading about the the, the lamp on the stand, but it's, I believe it's part of the parable of Jesus' explanation. When we share the Word of God, it brings light and illumination into people's lives if they will allow it. They might not want it, but that is what it does. It exposes that which is being hidden, and concealed. They have to decide what they do about what is being exposed. Those that accept the word of God and respond to it by surrendering their lives to Christ receive even more. They receive the Holy Spirit and eternal life and all the blessings that go with it. Whoever, whoever does not have Christ as their Lord and Savior, whatever they do on this earth, they will lose. They cannot take it with them when they die and go to hell for eternity. These are often the most difficult people to reach with the Word of God because the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things comes in and choke the Word in their lives. The wealthy, the rich, are often the most difficult to reach because they think they are self-sufficient and they don't need anything. They might have everything that they need here for this life, but they don't consider eternal life. And that's what we need to share with them. We must continue to sow the word, no matter what the condition of the soil is. When we are faithful and put our trust in God, He is more than able to do what we think is impossible. Let's keep sowing the word into the lives of those we encounter every day. Let's keep sowing the word into the lives of those we encounter every day. Ask God for opportunities to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words that Jesus spoke and speaks to us through this parable and through the explanation. Help us to take on board what it is that you have for each one of us. Touch our hearts. Touch our lives. Fill us with more of your presence, Holy Spirit, so that we can be effective in sowing your word wherever we are and whoever we are with, whenever that might be. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, there are some questions. We've gone back to one of the favorite ones again. (laughs) Questions for discussion. We'll read them out now, and then we'll end the, the, the online YouTube, and they'll go into the Zoom meeting. So, the first question is, what stood out for you from this message? You can discuss it on the tables, around the tables. And then secondly, are there people in your sphere of influence who need to hear the Word of God? How are you able to share it with them? Thirdly, pray for one another, asking God for opportunities to share His Word with the people in your sphere of influence. So two and three are very interlinked. Okay, discussion time. We finish this, the online, and we'll go over to Zoom. Thank you.